This is Adam from Unstoppable Acting Studio in Scotland. And this is Jared from Actors Approach in America. And together, we are two guys talking craft. A one-hour podcast where we talk about the craft of acting. Explore the various acting techniques from all the master acting teachers. And help you grow your acting skills. Two guys talking craft. Two guys talking craft. It sounds much better when Adam says it. Yeah, it does. This is Two Guys Talking Craft. Friends, welcome one and all to another episode of Two Guys Talking Craft. This is episode 38 with me, Adam, from Unstoppable Acting Studio. And in a moment, we'll be joined by the wonderful Jared Kellner from Actors Approach Craft Technique Toolbox. And together, the two of us make Two Guys Talking Craft. Uh, we are a podcast. We record it live on Instagram Live every two weeks on a Wednesday. Now, actually. Hello, everyone. This is joining us. Thanks for jumping in. Welcome. Welcome all. Welcome, Simon Furness. Wonderful work you do with Meisner stuff. And you kids. And you, Jared. Nice to see you. With all the boots in tow as well. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, my friend? Good. Good. A lovely blue background this evening. I got this really cool thing, this blue... Am I cut off though? Am I like, is my head sort of chopped? Uh, not, not for me. Um, yeah. No, let us know, Jared. Yeah, this for you. Is a background that goes on the back of your chair. One side's blue, one side's green. I thought it looked nice. Make make the color of my eyes stand out. How about that? <laughs> well, I'm getting a sensorial experience from that, Jared. So it's <laughs> going to be very relevant to tonight's conversation. Uh, hey, everybody, joining us in the live just now, Indra and Dale. Um, and new names here as well welcome if it's your first time joining us for two guys talking craft podcast i was just telling the people jared all about two guys talking craft we are a podcast that uh you know we, we meet up on instagram live every two weeks uh we're good friends who just enjoy connecting over chatting um in depth about a variety of acting craft and technique and we've sort of yeah, picked up this phrase. We, we learn out loud together, but but we learn out loud with everyone, and um, it's great. It's a great community that's starting to develop where we can, yeah, um, sort of engage in conversation, discussion. You know, people can jump in with questions, get involved in, in these uh, podcasts as well. So, and we've been going for thirty eight episodes. We've nearly reached the big four zero, Jared. Wow, we're getting old. <laughs> hey, look what uh, look what Indra wrote. He said, "And no two guy talking craft would be complete without me." Indra, you're like a um, I don't know an honorary uh, co-host. Uh, three guys talking craft. Uh, so thank you for uh, for always being here, Indra. Very appreciated. The, the day we get t-shirts, Indra, there's this one get coming your <laughs> way, and, and and Indra's just one of the many wonderful people we've had the opportunity to meet through. through so um, yeah, we appreciate everybody that, that's joined us. Um, tune in for an episode. Uh, I'm going to do a little shout out to LAB on YouTube, Jared, who um, I, I recently uploaded one of our previous episodes of Uta Hagen from our Uta Hagen series on respect for acting. She's reading it at the moment. She said it was a very good accompaniment and she tuned into uh, one of those episodes. So thanks, Ellie, for the nice words that you, you sent us on YouTube. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, anybody that's left a review somewhere, it's, it's um, very nice of you. Um, and yeah, just um, we're about to embark on our episode our, our final eric morris episode possibly uh, that we'll do for a little while uh, we might revisit him at some point but um just to say if you, if you get any value at all from anything we're talking about today we'd hugely appreciate you you know sending the info to a friend and saying hey 
I, I think you'd enjoy some parts of this and just to grow this community as big as we can. It's a really special, wonderful community that seems to just be yeah, growing out of nowhere. Like like this week, Jared, we've had people listen to the podcast from Singapore, Malaysia, and Russia. There, there's three wow. new countries on that map that we just never dreamed of uh, yeah, engaging with, right? So um, welcome our friends from there as well. But um, here we are, Jared, uh, you know, a very special man in your life, a man that I'm <laughs> just dipping my toe in the water into his, his world at the moment, but Mr. Eric Morris. And um, yeah, you, you've recently been chatting to him as well right <laughs> yeah all right so just to rewind that's amazing russia singapore and what's the last yeah. one what uh we've got singapore malaysia and, and russia. malaysia that's amazing yeah. yeah absolutely amazing so yeah thank you to everybody thank you for spreading the word um yeah look i i have um the good fortune of having a relationship with eric morris where i could send him emails or call and leave voicemails and he'll call back and we'll talk and um i i shared with you while we were prepping that he's been on my mind a lot lately um and because we're working on you know the this series i'm just thinking about all the the time that i've studied with him and what i've learned and i had this massive vivid lucid dream where i was i was in the dream but i was also observing myself in the dream and knew that i was uh, observing myself in the dream and i said okay i need to pay attention because i have to remember to tell eric about this dream because he he's very much into um dream analysis and, and using dreams and guiding dreams and Rewinding a couple of years ago when I did a play, I used a lot of Eric Morris's system to bring to life Charlie Fox in Speed the Plow. And I wrote him um, an email that says, you know, comprehensive use of your system. Here's everything that I did. And it was like, a, you know, uh, a doctoral thesis. It was it was a long email. And he emailed me back and he, he said, um, you know, this is wonderful. Can I share it with my students? You know, one of the most comprehensive uh, applications of uh, of his system that he's seen. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so honored. Yes, you know, you, people, your students are going to know <laughs> know about me. And so he does. And then he and then he calls me up and he says, Jared, but maybe just take it easy. You know, you don't need to do everything all at once. So I didn't learn my lesson. Even in my dream, I didn't learn my, my lesson. So in my dream. Uh, I, I'm at this jamboree in Los Angeles. I'm doing work with another actor that I um, that I've been in class with, and uh, Eric says, "Okay, you know what, what what was your process? What did you use?" And so I'm talking to him, and I said, "Okay, my uh, my relationship obligation is this, and I use this this, and my uh, my emotional obligation is that, and I use this, and I go on." And he in my dream he comes up to me and he puts his arms around me and he leans into whisper in my ear, and then I wake up. I'm like, oh no, I, I I need to know what he told me in my dream. So I woke up and, and I just type, 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 type. I sent him this email and he called me back and he said, okay, he gave a lot of thought to what I said. And he goes, I just want to remind you of, you know, the message that I gave you a couple of years ago. And he says, you know, just trust that one thing is enough, that w one tool, one technique, one little thing is all you need to do and trust that that will take you to the places that you ultimately need to go because you're overdoing it. Um, you know this stuff so well, you, you have a, a good comprehension of all the different pieces. 
and you're, you're overcomplicating things. Um, and that that can short circuit your ability to actually function. And it will get in the way of you being present, you being able to receive. And so even though, even in my dream, I was like really applying all the stuff that we're going to talk about today and have talked about in the last couple of episodes, um, it's too much. And even, even me, after still doing this, like I didn't learn my lesson. Even in my dream, I needed to be scolded again to say, <laughs> you know, slow down. You don't have to do everything. So mm-hmm. the big takeaway here is we're going to talk about uh, choice approaches and a lot of different tools, you know, today. And that sometimes all you need is one little thing to set you off on the right path. And you don't need to overcomplicate it. You know, one thing is going to connect you to the next, to the next. Yeah. And just, so he says, I want to give you one word. He said, trust. Just mm-hmm. trust that simplicity is enough. Trust that one thing is enough. And, you know, mm-hmm. D- Dale's, you know, say, yeah, he's, he's been there. He's done that. There's so much to pick. And like, okay, I, I don't want to miss a moment. I want to, you know, wring the sponge out of everything. But, the, you know, he, Eric was absolutely right. He's like, Jared, just stop. You know, mm-hmm. just just pick one little thing mm-hmm. and then and, and be there. Be you know, go on, just do your work, but don't overcomplicate it. There's just this huge potential to be yeah. overwhelmed uh, by the by the yeah. whole thing. I think Dale alludes to that just now, um, and and that it should almost be seen in the sense of of play as well, right? Like um, that, you know, as we delve through this man's life and all the amazing stuff he's managed to produce in sixty plus years of being in this this industry. It's, it's, it's a bit about that as well, isn't it? A bit about experimentation, try, trying trying things out. And, and, and then, like, when you're at the path of, of making a conscious decision of, I'll focus on, on this thing now. Because, um, yeah, we're going to talk about choice approaches. This is very, very meaty as a, as a subject. Um, and it, yeah. it's, it's all about that, that how, you know, isn't it? To, um, you know, we, we'll review, we'll, we'll talk a little bit in a moment about the obligation once you've, you know, work through the text to come to an understanding of what your your obligations are. We'll maybe mention the, the seven obligations again in a little moment, Jared, right? But um, it, it, you've decided that the, the choice of how you're going to work from the, the, the choice approach is how you, you're going to um, work with, um, yeah, yeah, the choice that you've, you've got. Um, so, I, yeah, I do think it's, it's worth reviewing a little bit. A lot of my... Uh, reading it today, Jared, because I'm fairly new to the world of Eric Morris, has come from a book, Irreverent, I have to watch how I say that, Irreverent Acting, um, which I really enjoy. It's, it's very concise. It, it very much places it on, if you want to use this choice approach, this is how you use it, this is the context that you use it, this is how you use it, it combined with his system that already exists, the, the finding the obligation, the choice. Um, I, I was just... When I was looking at irre- irreverent, the word irreverent, it's almost with with a lack of respect. Like, uh, like you know, that that's the direct translation of it. And like, I I, I think he's far from sick. We we should have a lack of respect for for acting. But it is this thing that we touched upon in previous episodes, right? Like that he's much more of a believer in the um, the sense of being, like like, and 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 that we're that's what we're aiming towards. And that there is in his eyes no real separation from from the life and the in the acting. I, I don't know, do you feel like that's where this, this titles come from about reverent acting? Is, yeah, is that true. Really uh, I had the uh, a very similar question. There, there's some terminology that I was struggling with. And so, yeah, we, I've talked to him about, you know, irreverent and, and reverent. And so it's, it gives you, 
irreverence gives you the freedom to make a decision and then just go explore, not being so confined and locked in that it needs to be rigid and it's got to be this very specific way, you know. And so there's a rule, there's a, you know, these are the rules of the game, um, but allow yourself the freedom to just flow and flex and, and be affected. And, and that way you're not, um, you're not being so respectful to the process uh, that you're, you know, you're confining yourself. Mm, that's beautiful. That's, that's really nice. I, like, um, I, was, I was looking through the, the choice approaches. And I, th I think it more directly relates to mm. philosophy and how you should approach these, you know, choice approaches. And specifically, he mentions it, I think, in an inner monologue for, for some reason. But um, this is a direct quote from him, experiment. An actor who doesn't make good use of rehearsals ends up with a polished reading and not a creative performance, right? <laughs> they, they, were, they were not striving for this, this perfection, this rigid thing that you, you said, right? That, yeah. that we want to be free and exploratory and like that we're discovering things throughout. And like, I think all of these choice approaches have the huge potential to lead to all sorts of discovery, you know, if, if you're faithful to, to that sort of uh, theme that you just brought up there. Yeah, and, and in the messiness, of the process, you make some wonderful discoveries. Mm, mm. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I, I like certainly at, at a younger age, but even even you know now in the last you know decade or so, I'm still guilty of it. I think we all are. Like, we want to do good. We want to get you know compliments from the teacher that we've done. We understand it. We've done. We've done good work. You're very talented. Like. We, I mean, we're actors, we're needy, emotional, vulnerable, you know, people. And so I think if you look at it, like, be, just have irreverence to respect the, uh, the craft, respect the process, but not so much that you lock yourself up that you can't function freely. Mm, and intellectualize you know, it too much yeah and... yeah that's it and, and i'm like i'm uh, i'm mega guilty of that just you know making it all line up and make so much sense that you know on paper it's amazing but in practicality it's like well you, you can't live because you're so busy trying to bring these decisions these intellectual decisions to life in such a structured way that you, you get all twisted up mm. the other word that i had a problem with that um it gives me uh, um, angst is uh, the uh, the word obligation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I said like, okay, if I, you've got uh, these seven obligations, it's an emotional obligation, it's a character obligation, it's a relationship obligation. And I'm like, okay, I'm obligated to reach this goal. And if I don't get there, I failed in some way. And I felt like, okay, I don't want that much pressure on me. I don't want to feel like if I fall short of an obligation, that I've uh, that I've uh, I've done bad acting in some way, and, and he said, "Okay, why don't you just call it a responsibility? You know, mm. maybe that softens the word for you a little bit." And so that's helped me sort of um, come to terms with the, the categories without putting so much pressure on myself. That it's just it's a responsibility of the script. Um, we're striving towards it, but it's not a rigid demand. And, and mm -hmm. so for me, it softens it just enough that I can. I can breathe with inside that space and not feel like if I don't get there, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing bad work. Yeah. What I think it sort of represents as well is this wonderful anchor point to, to work from, you know, like that you're, you're not working from a complete blank canvas that, that actually you've got to have a bit of reverence and respect for the world of the text that you're working within. You've got to do that bit of work and have that 
conscious understanding of the, the character's journey, of their place in the, the wider thing of the, of the story, all, all of those elements, right? Like you can't go in blind as such. You have to have an awareness of these things. And it's going back to what Eric directly said to you personally, you know, you probably don't have to worry about juggling all of them at once or anything like that. It's, it's, it's about quite often highlighting or focusing on one of these aspects is going to have a direct bleed into other elements as well, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, like focusing on a relationship obligation, right? let's use Eric Morris's word, is going to have an effect on the emotional obligation. The, the exactly character. what he said. It's, it's going to melt into all those yeah. different worlds as well, right? So it's just more of that fluidity with yeah. it. It's a, yeah. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, that's, that's literally exactly what he said. You know, so if, if I know that I want to feel some disgust for somebody, um, if I just focus on my relationship and focus on bringing to life a toxic relationship, inevitably, if, if I'm successful in bringing to life the toxic emotional obligation or responsibility, it's going to then lead to me feeling a sense of disgust for that person. And so I don't have to, um, you know, pound into my head, okay, I have to have a toxic relationship. I have to have an emotional, you know, level of disgust. I've got like, pick one and it will just connect you and flow you right into the others. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, how come you didn't tell me that years ago? But I, you know, like I needed, I needed to stumble and make mistakes and try to get things so right um, that I arrived at a place where I now can really understand I don't need to do everything and be all, all things all at once. I could be one thing and that's enough. Mm, mm, no, absolutely. Um, I, I do feel it's worth just highlighting the relationship between obligation choice, cho choice approach, before, before we dive into choice approaches. And if you're interested in finding out much more about this, we, we do talk about it. This is the end of a mini series about Eric Morris. There are previous episodes available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts that you can check out. Well, we do go into this in a lot more detail, but the word choice is perhaps used in a way that people wouldn't necessarily just um, gravitate towards in yeah. Eric Morris' world as well. And, and I think all of these things, it feels like tonight we're talking about irreverence, we're talking about obligation, we're, talk, we're talking about the meanings of these words maybe being slightly left field, but but this is just unpicking the lock into his world a little bit. Like like once you get these terms, yeah, then boom, you, you're on the pathway, right? Like you're you're instantly into the mode of being able to work with this, and and that's why I love as a new person to Eric Morris's work is it's incredibly practical, incredibly actionable, and you can literally see how to move from point A to point B to point C right. on any script that that you've been given as an actor and any obligation that you have. Like he's given you a world of possibilities to play with and explore, and I love that. Like, like no yeah. longer do I feel that I'd feel lost in a situation if I was to pick up any of his work. Like, like it, it's a guide, it's it's a pathway. Um, so so the choice, right? From from my understanding, being new Eric Morris here, choice is an object that helps us feel what the character feels. Like it can be a number of different things. It can be a person, a thing. Um. He mentioned and lists in detail in um, one of his books, I think it's No Acting, please, um, that it can be clothing, a weather condition, food, a phone call, perfume of a person, um, the person you're in love with. It can be thunder and light. It can be a number of different things. But most of all, it falls in the realm of the territory of some kind of recreating some kind of experience that we've had. 
with, with something, right? Like almost in the realm of sense memory. Is that succinct enough, Jeremy? Yeah, you're you're wrapping your arms around a couple of categories and terms, but you, you're mm. yeah, you're you're nearly there. Um, mm. So if we're looking at like the dominoes, the first domino would I is some form of an obligation, um, and it's a good word because so let's say you and I were in uh, we're doing a play and you have a line to me. Uh, oh my God, you've been crying all day. You're hysterical. Stop. Okay, I have an emotional obligation, a behavior obligation to bring to life that state to justify that line, right? I can't come in laughing because it makes no sense, right? I am obligated to be in that emotional state. Mm. Uh, or sometimes it's imposed upon you at like an audition. Um, you, you're auditioning with somebody and the casting director says, uh, you know what? Um, I don't sense any animosity between the two of you. You guys are arch rivals. This is your nemesis. I need to see and feel uh, utter disdain for each other. Okay, well, that's a relationship obligation. I got to bring that to life. So that's the first domino. And so then the choice, which is the second one in the series, is the choice in terms of Eric's words, it, it's not synonymous for a, um, uh, a decision. A choice is not an intellectual decision. In Eric's words, a choice is the thing that you will create or the thing that you will experience that stimulates a response in you that helps you fulfill the obligation. So if I need to be completely disgusted with you, my emotional obligation is disgust. I can use vomit and diarrhea as my choice. And then the third part is the choice approach. How do I create vomit or diarrhea for myself that it stimulates a response in me that makes me feel that disgust that I then put into the emotional obligation? And so I could use one of many choice approaches, which we'll talk about, but let's just say sense memory as an example. I'm going to then use the practical and pragmatic uh, system of sense memory to recreate the feeling, the sense, the smell, the touch, the texture, the temperature, the visual uh, of vomit and diarrhea on the floor. And if I am successful in creating something that's not there through my senses, experience it as if it was there, it will trigger a response in me of disgust that I then put into the work. So it starts with it, it, it starts with an intellectual decision of what is my obligation. In this case, mm -hmm. we're talking about I want to feel a sense of disgust towards you. My choice is the vomit or the diarrhea. That's the thing that's going to impel the response in me. Which, and in a sense, is still an intellectual, but like an intellectual response as well, right? That you've decided that. Like you, I've decided. Yeah, I've made a decision. Yeah. I've made a decision that I'm going to use vomit and diarrhea. I'm going to create that somehow. And that the vomit and diarrhea is, I've made a decision to use the choice of vomit and diarrhea. This is a horrible conversation. How many times can I say vomit and diarrhea? And then I'm going to use the choice approach, which is the, okay, how? How do I bring to life this choice 
that stimulate something in you. And so I said, all right, I'm going to use sense memory. I'm going through my senses. I'm going to create this thing that's not actually there, but my, I'm going to create in such a way that my body responds as if it was there. And then I feel this sense of disgust and then I put it in you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I can be clever and creative with it where I, um, and we're going to talk about endowments, you know, a little bit mm -hmm. later on as a choice mm -hmm. approach. Um, and you need to have mastery over sense memory to actually function and use endowments, but I can endow you with vomit and diarrhea all over your body mm -hmm. and be disgusted by that. Yeah. So that's it. It's obligation, then the choice, then the choice approach. You make a decision what that obligation is, character, relationship, emotion, time and place, all that stuff. You pick your choice. What is it that's, that's going to stimulate that in me that's going to fulfill that obligation? And then you use the choice approach to bring to life the choice. So it's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, that, that's the how, right? That's the Love how, that. yeah. Again, the choice bash, approach bash, is the bash, how. Bash, there, rightly so. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's when we're in the territory of actually getting into the world of what would be seen conventionally as the acting, but but the, the being, the, the sort of doing. Like, like he, he describes it, and I'm I'm not doing this word for word here, but the, like that, the the work is to do the the craft, right? Like when when we're in on the stage, when we're on the set, it's, it's engaging in the in the craft. That that's the the work, and that like actually the the choice approaches help us engage with the work that we that we do as actors, and it, it almost. In that territory, the choice approach territory, there's not a huge amount of room for the intellectual to come into it. Um, I mean, it, it's more about acting on instinct a little bit more, engaging with our senses. Like, um, we will talk about sense memory in a minute, but it's not about intellectualizing the sense memory. It's about seeing. Yeah, it, it, it's not about, like, thinking about how that makes us feel. It's It's about... So I want to say that we actors, we do this anyway. We're just now calling it something. So mm. let's just think about it from the, uh, another terminology. Um, <clears throat> I need to be sad. You know, like it calls for me to be sad in the, in the play. And okay, so an actor is going to uh, use... Uh, emotion recall, emotion memory, affective memory, you know, where I'm reliving, recreating, re-experiencing an actual, you know, past event. Um, and so from a personal level, uh, let's say um, I want to use when my dad died. Um, I was, I'm 50 now, I'm 19. So I need to be sad and I'm going to go in and I'm going to uh, re-experience, you know, when, when my dad died in the hospital and his last breath. And so I do this, you know, emotion recall, emotion memory, very method um, approach where I, I re-experience it so that I become sad. And then, you know, I go in and I do the work and I'm not thinking about my dad while I'm acting anymore. I'm, I'm feeling sad because of that work. And now I'm just, you know, I'm in, I'm in the scene and I'm listening and responding. I mean, that, that's what we as actors typically do, right? So it's the same. So all we're doing now is putting Eric's vocabulary on top of that. So my emotional obligation is I need to be sad. My choice is my father. My choice approach is affective memory or emotion recall. So I recreate an experience in my past, the choice approach of affective memory, emotion recall, emotion memory. 
to bring to life that experience with my father, the choice, so that I could feel sad and put it into the work to fulfill the choice, the, uh, the emotional obligation of sadness. So we're just using vocabulary to label things that we, we do anyway. You're a billion percent correct in every single way. However, my thing is, is I've been acting out without the system of Eric Morris for many years. And, and, and I would have got to the place of that emotional sort of you know, recall, whatever you want to call it. I'd be in that place of being and sensing, and I'd feel my ego creeping in. I'd, I'd hear these little words coming into my head, this sort of like battle with, uh, am I doing this right? All, all these sort of words might come into my head or I might intellectualize it. Like, how should I be feeling right? Like, I might start with that. But what I feel is, through yeah. his system, and we, we've went through it, guys, step by step by step previous weeks. But if I go through the instrumental preparation, if I, you know, have that comfortable relationship with ego, all that thing, if I respect the fact that by the time I come into the character work, I'm moving my, I'm putting my ego at the door, it's still going to try and creep in, but I'm going to put it at the door. I've got the opportunity to intellectualize my choices, like within the obligation part, within the, the um, choice part, like yeah. I can be as intellectual as I want in those areas, but I've got to set all that aside by the time I come to choice approaches, trust that I've done all that work and just be and explore and yeah. be affected by the stimulus that's around me. And I think it's really, really powerful just, just to have that framework to work within because quite often that that's where I've I've lost it in my acting life, like when I've lost focus or I, I've mm -hmm. stepped out of the, the moment or whatever, and it's very hard to get back in. But to have these clear frameworks, the sequential step-by-step-by-step, I find that incredibly useful and incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I look forward to being in a room trying out and doing it as well. But, um, so yeah, yeah, that, that was my little add-on add to that, Jared. I mean, I, mean, I, th I think we better dive in, right, to some of these, yeah, these yeah, choice approaches, the, the yeah. hows. Um, as we go through, I've, I've maybe got a couple of examples as well as to like how it links directly from Eric's book, Irreverent Acting, how he'd link sort of an obligation to choice, to the choice approach as well as we, as we go through it. Because I, I think it's important, right, to always anchor it in, in that. Like it should never really be seen in isolation that it's like this three-step model would that be fair to say yeah i mean you could understand what the choice approaches are and the process to do them but you need to make decisions about what your obligation is and what your choice is so that you can actually use the choice approach to bring it to life with without the decision of what my emotional obligation or character or relationship obligation is and without the decision of, okay, I'm going to use this specific choice, then all you're doing, it's just book learning, right? You just, you understanding what it is, but you're not actually doing anything. You need yeah. the other pieces of the puzzle um, to bring to life, to make actionable the choice approach. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Margot said some very nice words. Thank you very much, Margot, for your kind words. Um, yeah, we appreciate you taking the time right, to, yeah, to, to be with us um, in, in this Instagram Live. Right? Thank you very much. Um, and, and just before we dive in, there, there was a really nice analogy with the, the choice approaches as well. Was it called it the, the pick and shovel? The pick and shovel? This is like sort of like the chipping away at the, the work. Is that the analogy with the pick and, and shovel uh, thing? And that's from the book. I, I mean... Yeah. T tell me what it is. I, I I think it's like this is the work, like that, like when you start sort of like chipping into the. the oh. I think anyway, you sort of making physical indentations in the 
you know, in in the work by by okay. this stage. And every, like and maybe everything before that is just thoughts. I don't, I don't know. I was just wondering if you knew that what that analogy mm-hmm. was, because um, he, t- he talks about being tools. You know, like uh, the, yeah. the choice approaches. So um, there's many of these choice approaches as well. Before we uh, play our first one, is it over thirty one now? Is, is well over thirty one choice approaches? I have thirty one um, from last count, but maybe he's invented you know a few more or. I say invented. A lot of these are, you know, in class, you know, during exercises, they stumble upon something that hasn't been uh, articulated or clearly defined. And so, yeah, he's always evolving it and, and adding to it. But I mean, look, 31 is a massive amount. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it'll last you a lifetime. Yeah. It, it, but I will, I will say this though, that um, yeah. it is, it is very clear um, that probably more than half of the hows, the different techniques of the how you bring things to life, more than half of them require your competency in some form of sense memory. Mm. So if you don't know what sense memory is or how to do it, the pragmatic and practical process of sense memory, um, you should learn um, because nearly half of these tools will be inaccessible to you um, without mm. the skill. So, you know, a lot of these tools are predicated on your ability to, uh, to use effectively sense memory. He directly says, knowing how, why, and when to select and use a specific choice approach depends on how much experience the actor has with the craft. And I, and I guess a key point, a key foundational point is, yeah, establishing that real robust relationship with, with sense memory, which is going yeah. to allow you to, to start to access a lot of these other ones. Um, yeah, for so sure. We, we, start, we start chatting about sense uh, memory, uh, Jared. And, and, and just going back to that important distinction, right? That this is sensorially sort of, by relive an, an experience of a, of a place or um, of, a, of a moment or, or something along those lines, but it, it is not an intellectualizing of that experience, it, it, it's its response. It, it's sort of seeing it, but not sort of commenting on it. Is that fair to say in, in Eric Morris's world? It's an experience, it's a, a sensorial experience. So since you're, you're combining two things right now, mm. um, emotion memory, emotion recall, which mm. is the robust re-experiencing, reliving a past event from your life uses sense memory to help you actually experience it. And you're not just mm. seeing, right? You're seeing, you're smelling, you're feeling, you're hearing, you're tasting, you're actually sensorily re-experiencing. So you use sense memory so that you can have an active experience of something that happened in your past. You can use sense memory, obviously, to recreate anything. We talked about diary and vomit. That's not a past experience, right? That's using sense memory. That's using a process of creating something that's not there so that it affects me as if it was there. Emotion recall, emotion memory is the reliving, re-experiencing of that past event. And really interesting is when you use emotion recall to re-experience a past event, you actually have two perspectives. You have what was I actually experiencing in the moment when it happened, 
Mm. And you also have this retrospective view of it too. You know, me as a 50 year old guy, looking back at the death of my dad when I was 19, if I look back at that and re-experience it a little bit from, from a distance, uh, I have this retrospective view on it that's vastly different, that it, it affects my body and my response is different than if I put myself back there as a 19-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's a beautiful thing, you know, to be able to use a past event and then you've got two perspectives on it. So you've just doubled the, you know, the value from an acting perspective, you doubled the value of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's a beautiful example, you know, just something you illustrated earlier on, right? That the, the, the sense memory bleeds into so many other other areas as well, right? There's, there's so much um, potential yeah. to be drawn from that. Um, just uh, when... So sense uh, memory yeah. and emotion memory uh, are two of the many choice approaches. So I could use sense memory in, in, mm. in and of itself to bring a choice to life, to fulfill an obligation. I could use emotion memory, emotion recall, right? Reliving a past event as the choice approach. I leverage this, the skills of sense memory inside the emotion recall process, the effective memory process. Uh, But sense memory is a thing by itself, a choice approach by itself and effective memory, emotion recall, you know, recreating past event is another one, another choice approach. Yeah, but you need the sense memory to be able to access, right? Like there's no access to that without the sense memory. You you can do effective memory and just sort of like remember it and it will affect you. But if you really want to be stimulated by it, yes, you need to have skills in sense memory. Mm. So it's all about the sort of stimulation. And, and I guess like it's wanting to link up to whatever obligation that we've, that we've, we've come up with from, from the script. So that might, might be that we've got some kind of emotional obligation or relationship obligation. It, it just got me thinking, I know we've been chatting on a call in, in recent weeks about a book that, that I've been looking at. It's a, slight, it's a slight meander, but um, the How Emotions Are Made book. And it, and it just got me th- thinking behind because quite often, it, like Eric Morris states, like the senses can be trained to respond um, to, to an object sensorily that's not even there. You know, if you hear that verbatim, we can feel like objects are there without them actually being there. We can sensorily recreate the warmth of a cup of coffee, the, the burning sensation of a whiskey as you drink. Like, you'd be, you know, well within your rights to say, no, I, I live in the world of real. Like, like, like I, I can't access that. But scientifically, like, like looking at that book, you know, and, and, and sort of just got me thinking behind the, the science of how we are able to access sense memory to create emotion in, in, in us. That the brain is an interpretation machine, that it's constantly trying to interpret the environment that, were, that we're in, like in a number of ways, it's trying to keep us safe and keep us in survival mode. The brain in itself doesn't get to see what is around us. So if we give it stimulus and a variety of different stimulus, it's going to trigger off certain responses within us and, and and i think like for me i you know i i would have been sort of when i was starting out and i can very cynical what you want me to re- recreate a bunch of stuff in front of me right now like, like nah that's that's airy fairy sort of but here's the the, the the science sort of backing it up almost right that like no our, our brain does respond to what stimulus we, we give it and if we give it this certain imagined stimulus or whether it's real stimulus, it's going to react in a certain way as well and bring us into a certain state. 
I agree with everything that you just said. Mm. Um, and so uh, another point to help further clarify why we do sense memory, um, and, and I think that this is an important one. You mentioned coffee and you mentioned uh, like the burn of uh, like whiskey or scotch. Um, so I don't do sense memory so that when I'm drinking apple juice, I actually taste scotch. That's not the intention of sense memory. If I do sense memory correctly and I can taste scotch, even though it's apple juice, and my body then responds to the taste that's not actually there, but the one that I've sensorily created. And it triggers in me a response of nostalgia, that this smoky, uh, peaty flavor of this scotch that is not there, but I sensorily create it, brings me to my uh, trip uh, in, in Scotland years ago. And I'm just having this wonderful nostalgic moment. Then I can use that nostalgia to create the, to, to fulfill the emotional obligation of the piece. So mm. I use sense memory to trigger my senses to stimulate so I have a response to it, so I could put that response into the work and fulfill the obligation. I don't do sense memory so that I, instead of tasting apple juice, I taste the scotch. I do mm. sense memory so that the scotch of, that's not there, that I created as if it was there, affects me. And I take that response in my body and I use that in the work. Mm. That's why we do sense memory. It's not to taste coffee when it's actually water. It's not to taste, you know, to taste the scotch. It's so mm -hmm. that we, we can train our body so that it, we respond in such a way to things that are not there. And then we mm. use that response to fulfill the work. That's the mm. point of sense memory. Beautiful. Beautiful. Excellent. Sarah Louise says, Yes, with like those hands, those uh, like cool hands. I don't know what to call them, but yeah, we're with you, Sarah Louise. Absolutely. Um, we've had a question. The comments are not showing up for, for me for some reason. Oh, okay. So, uh, Margaret's put in a question. Um, Margaret, is this is specific to what's the best way to define acting? Is it about being someone different, completely losing yourself in another person, or a way of expressing yourself and your deepest feelings through a story? Uh, Margaret, first thing is, is we've got a ton of choice approach material uh, that we prepped to, to get through tonight that we want to share with you guys. Like, um, so we do want to stick down that, that, that channel as much as possible. Um, we, I, I don't think I've got the best way to define acting. I've got lots of different interpretations of it. Like it, it, to be faithful to Eric Morris's world, I guess that we're doing in this episode, um, you know, he talks about it being this state of being. And um, the, the, there can't be much separation between life and acting in itself. Um, and almost striving to be an actor, quote unquote, is probably stopping you from achieving what you can do as, a, as an actor because you're striving to be an idea of something rather than just being in the moment. Like, um, but yeah, Jared, this is a deep one, isn't it? Like we could, we could rattle off. Yeah, and there's no, like, there's no right answer. Every, every yeah. master teacher is going to have their own opinion. You know, acting is living truthfully under the imaginary circumstances. That's Meisner, right? Uh, you know, you'll have people that say, no, you, you're not hiding behind the mask of the character and denying yourself. You're finding yourself in the character or you're finding the character inside of you. 
uh, look at you're a storyteller bring the story to life mm. i wouldn't worry so much about the you know the webster's dictionary of what it is because if you lock yourself into like any other acting technique right if you lock yourself into this is the definition of acting and you you deny yourself of experiencing something else because you've made a decision that uh, acting is only that you know that definition well then you know you're going to sabotage yourself so look mm. you're a storyteller you're you're Eric likes to say, uh, you know, instead of saying acting, uh, he uses the word experiencing. That's why mm -hmm. one of his books is, you know, like a, a diary of a professional experiencer. Yeah. Yeah. So experiencing um, truthfully and then sharing that. Lovely. Um, Dale is, is giving the old Sandy Meisner a bit here, truthfully under an imaginary, well, in imaginary situations. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that's a, yeah, a lovely idea of what acting is as well. Re Rebecca's given a name to the hands, the cool hands that uh, Sarah Louise uh, whipped out is the hallelujah hands. So there we go. Learn something new every day. We've got Sarah Louise saying it's looking someone in the eyes and telling them the truth, believing it, fully and letting go of your ego. It's all wonderful things. I mean, this is an episode yeah. all in itself. Uh, but, like, <laughs> yeah, it it's is. A, yeah, it's a little... I don't like we love hearing from people and like please feel free to message us anything like in, in between these yeah, like um, as well we, we'd love to yeah chat back and forth 100 so, let, percent. let's yeah. let's talk about some choice approaches let's, let's jump yeah can i just sorry just on sense memory just, oh, yeah. just uh, real oh, quick yeah. part of what he recommends in reverend acting like like as an entry point to this is like sort of asking yourself questions and, and he's it, it's really beautiful how he how he does it he's like so like a wall, for instance, right? Start looking at the color of the wall. Like he, he claims that there's about 50 questions you can just ask about the color of the wall. Like when you're sensorial experiencing it, what, what color is it? What's the main primary color in it? Like are there any variations in the color? Like really going in depth with it. And then after you've looked at all the color, then maybe you want to go into the texture of it and start looking at the texture. Like, like it's really dexterous, like the you know just how much he, he recommends you examine it in in your mind and it just got it got me thinking like man i'm not i'm not taking in the world around me to that to that level and that depth at the moment and, and i think it's about as an actor it's 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 a way of seeing things isn't it? it's a way of you know just being always open to what's around you in your environment because it's going to feed you for further down the line and um almost that mindful approach to, to life as well um, Indra's asking what the book was again, Jared, that you just popped up there. But I, I think it's the Reverend Acting one. The Reverend Acting. Um, check it out. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, start with no acting, please. You got a Reverend Acting, you know, Freeing the Actor is another one that's that's really good. Uh, I think one one of the original ones is this Being and Doing. It's another one that's really wonderful. Um, you got that one, Acting. Yeah, from the ultimate consciousness. Oh my goodness, this one's uh, acting, imaging in the unconscious. Uh, this is a second chance at life. Uh, this is all around um, helping to uh, re reframe some tra you know, trauma in your past. Oh, here's the diary of the uh, professional experiencer. Uh, what else? I've got you know like some CDs and, and cassette tape stuff. To some, I'm like I, I, yeah, it's, I've got, I've got. He's, he's, he's a one-man library. It's Jared Kellner. Yeah. Comes to the old acting craft. This is incredible. Um, but no, do check out people. Every single one of those groups, like I've, I've just dipped my toe into. But honestly, so actionable and so practical. 
like at a hundred percent um yeah recommend like um, <laughs> and um even better if you can get in the room with the man and uh, do a bit of a jamboree and all that yeah. stuff yeah. And, you know, great um and just what like I thought this was really lovely on, on the sense memory as well. Like, like he's, he's sort of given that guide to people that are maybe approaching it for the first time. And he says, well, what he used to do or what he has done in the past, if he's looking at a sensory recreate something, he would go into the environment that he's working within up to about two hours before the, you know, the, the directors are there around him and, and stuff. And he's, he's working on that. He's working on asking those questions um, to, to, to sort of, yeah, sort of sensory recreate something in his head. Like, um, I think I think I think that dedication to it, right? Like, it's just uh, in- incredible. It's it's not leaving it to to chance or anything. It's really taking the time to explore, you know. And and then, like, this is advice to you: focusing on that one thing, so that by the time the other actor is there, you're not selfishly sort of starting to bring it up or being in your own head or doing your own thing. Like, you've done that work, and now you can just trust and and be with the other actor. Um, which, which I thought was rather, yeah, a, lo- a lovely way to, to look at it um, as well. Like, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done on sense memory, Jared. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but um, where, where do you fancy going to next? Where, where, I, I, one I didn't mention when we were chatting on the phone about this, and I think it's probably quite important to mention, is available stimulus, right? Like, like would, would that be like under the heading of a mega? approach and that it sort of consolidates loads of other approaches or no 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 that's just one but so available stimulus in my opinion and several other disciples of eric um feel like available stimulus should be the first choice approach that an actor looks to to bring their choice to life to fulfill their obligation Available mm. stimulus is the actual stuff that's physically in front of you in the moment. So you don't have to do any work. You just work off of what's actually there. So let's say you have a, um, a character obligation um, of being this uh, frigid, cold person. And you trying to bring that to life. And the set that you are on, you're outside, it's, you know, 2 a.m. and it's freezing. So the choice would then be the actual place where you are. And the choice approach is available stimulus using the environment. You don't have to do anything. All you just have mm-hmm. to do is let the environment actually affect you. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if I needed to have a relationship obligation where I needed um, to bring to life just sensuality uh, just, you know, really attracted to the other person. And the actor that I'm working with, I am incredibly attracted to. Okay, why do I need to recreate when I was 16 years old and I had a, you know, an encounter with this? Who, why do I have to go so far away? The available stimulus is that person that's actually living right in front of me triggers in me what I need to do the work. Okay, just be there. Look the other person in the eye, show up and just live truthfully in the moment. So I think that uh, before you start doing all this work about where am I going to go, what am I going to use, if the thing that's actually right in front of you stimulates in you what's needed to bring the script to life, I mean, don't work so hard. It's right there. So that's Mm -hmm. available stimulus. Uh, And it can be anything. Uh, I need to have a sense of disgust. 
and we're on set and uh, the food that I'm supposed to be eating, uh, it's cold, it's nasty, it's been out, there's been bugs all over it. it you know, it's, it's egg salad that's been cooking in the sun for, you know, it's just, it's disgusting. Okay, I don't need to do anything except just actually use the available stimulus of the stuff that's disgusting right in front of me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, yeah. don't work so hard. Yeah. So as you're going down the list of all 31 choice approaches of how can I bring this to life? If available stimulus is actually right there in front of you, don't work so hard. Just let the That's reality... first gateway, gateway yeah, into it. Right? Like, I, I was thinking about this. I, I was like, so like, can, can we use the, the podcast currently? Right? Like, so my relationship to you, Jared, like, I could never as, you know, a first point of call, feel disgust, anything like that. Like, I have nothing but respect and admiration. So if that was a, a relationship obligation that I had for the character, I'd, I'd literally be, right, I, I just need to take in this other person in front of me and, and like, that, that's all, all I need to do. But then I was like, well, hold on a second, because it's not always that, that simple and, and easy. You know, like, you might get, get lucky that it just all works out. Yeah, You're available it's serendipitous all, sometimes. All it's very serendipitous and stuff. Yeah. But, this is where Eric Morris is just, oh man, just, just is the gift that keeps on giving, right? So you can still use the available stimulus, but if I wanted to bring on this element of disgust, then we could sort of combine the available stimulus with, with uh, another approach called selective emphasis. So, Selective emphasis, endowments, yeah, yeah others, yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's, sorry, let's ch change the disgust, right, to annoyance, right? Say I had to be really annoyed. I, I don't yeah, think, sure. like, I've known you for nearly two years now. I really don't think I could be annoyed with you. I always think we could, we could chat and work things out. i tell you what does annoy me, though. When I'm on here on the Instagram, and I love looking at people's comments and, and flicking through, and Sarah Louise, hopefully we've given a few examples for the choice approaches now. Um, she said it's a really good approach. I, I agree. My fat thumb... Yeah, like is is always getting in the in, in the way of these comments and flicking through these comments and like if I really focus my my attention on on this part of the screen here where I'm like my thumb can't like flick through then I'm starting to get like a little bit annoyed and like I'm starting to emphasize part of the screen that's really sort of annoying me and, and and that's an area where you can sort of like start to tap into right like like is there you might I don't know be in the environment that you can't find anything dis disgusting but but maybe there's just that one little the one little speck on the floor, like that one little stain or something like that. And like, you just start to emphasize it more and more and more and it becomes like more and more of a focus to you, right? Would that be an example of using this available stimulus with that sort of selective emphasis approach as well? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful example of it. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's using what's actually right in front of you, but sort of narrowing your focus to one thing that's going to stimulate what you need to fulfill the obligation. Let's just say for whatever reason, you needed to be disgusted with me. And as you looked at me, it happened that I had like, you know, like the crust in my eye. <laughs> I like, I, I didn't clean my face before we did it. And, and it's noticeable to you that I've got this, yeah. or like sometimes when people talk a lot, they get like the white um, yeah. spit in the corner of their mouths. Mine's got so, that spinach in his teeth. Something, right? And so yeah. don't, work off of the entirety of the uh, the person that's in front of you, just laser focus and just work off of the little spit in the corner of the mouth or the little eye booger in the corner of the eye, or maybe they've got like a little booger hanging out or a nose hair hanging out. Mm. Um, this is, you know, the problems of, uh, you know, getting older, you get the, these things that go <laughs> on. Uh, and so 
instead of focusing on the entirety, just, you know, sort of like, like look at that one thing and relate to that one thing, selectively emphasize yeah. that one thing and allow that one thing, a piece of the whole to affect you in a way that you're able to fulfill the obligation. Yeah. But yeah. You, you need to know what that obligation is, right? So if disgust yeah. was the obligation, yeah. and, and I happen to, and, and you want to use available stimulus, Mm-hmm. and I happen to have a little spit in the corner of my mouth, you would then be fulfilling the emotional obligation of disgust or the relationship obligation of disgust by using the available stimulus, whether that's your uh, choice approach, selectively emphasized, layered, layered, layered. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm like isolated, like, 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 so in this layer, it's all like, all I can see. I'm still reacting to the person that's in front of me and I'm still yeah. engaging in all that stuff. But, but this spit oh. is what's impelling the response in you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's incredibly, incredibly effective. Um, so now, if that spit did not exist, I can then switch over to endowments, which is another choice approach, which is when I sensorily endow you with attributes that do not exist, but I create them in my senses as if they did exist, and then I allow that sensorily created endowed attribute to affect me. So uh, I need to be disgusted by you. I sensorily endow you with a little booger that every time you breathe, like flips out of your nose and goes back in and flips out of your nose and goes back in. I'm endowing you with this disgusting quality, this attribute that doesn't exist. And so Mm. I'm working off of you and I'm endowing you with this thing coming out of your nose and it, it it impels disgust in me, and I put that into the work. Hmm. Eric Morris on this chapter, uh, <laughs> Reverend, Reverend Acton, it, it's 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 such a lovely description of all the things you can do with endowments. It does sound a little bit like um like a, a late night infomercial, a little bit of all the <laughs> other things. Like, so I'll, I'll list them off. He's like, uh, you can change someone with short dark hair to have long blonde hair. Someone can uh, be shorter, <laughs> taller, repulsive, and more beautiful. <laughs> A healthy actor can have a horrible disease. You can create muscles on your body that you've only dreamed of having. Uh, a woman can be a man, and a man can be a woman. Um, that is the power of of endowments. And it's like, whoa! So, so like, I, I don't even think of that element. Like, you can endow stuff within yourself as well, right? You, you can sort of like, if you want to feel more powerful, confident, like uh, maybe sure. you've got big, big biceps that, that are bulging or whatever. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be the other person. You can absolutely bring yeah. it up. You know, you're you're having a soliloquy, a monologue, and you need to fulfill something in you. Um, uh, you know, um, you're playing. Um, I don't know. Pick pick a role. Um, I'm, we'll go okay, Shakespeare. Yeah. Okay, yeah. King Lear. You're playing King. Yeah. You're playing King Lear, um, and you're blind at this point. Um, okay, I endow myself with the lack of ability to see. I don't just simply close my eyes. Um, I keep my eyes open, but I, en- I endow a quality of nothingness. Mm. I-, I have such a really wonderful example of endowment that um, w- it was in class uh, many years ago. There was this uh, actor, and we wanted uh, to have a, a just a, a fun loving uh bonding relationship it was just so 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 much love and fun back and forth and so i uh using my senses i endowed 
um, a penis on his, instead of a nose, it was a penis. And so this penis just kept, and, and he was a, a black guy and I endowed a, a white penis on his nose that just kept on flopping and hitting him all over <laughs> the face. And so while he was moving and talking, I had endowed him with this insane quality and it just, it just cracked me up. And that fed into the relationship. And then yeah. he, you know, and just back and forth, we just had a really wonderful time, just you know, endowing him with this thing <laughs> flopping all over his poor face. A lovely example. Like, um, <laughs> as as an introduction to the approach of endowments, yet, yet again, he, he goes on about the importance of like the, the questioning as well. Like, so if you might not reach just right out for the penis on the face or the booger hanging down from the nose, <laughs> like he, he gives the example, right? If if you wanted to turn a healthy actor into somebody that was terminally ill, for instance, yeah. right? That, that was the circles, sunken yes. cheeks, yes. Yes. The, you can smell their, the, like, uh, sometimes people that are sick, they, their breath smells like mothballs. Mm. I don't know if you've mm. ever had that. Like, you've been close to somebody, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible smell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can endow them with the quality of, like, dark sunken in eyes and, and or, or um, uh, what do they call when your skin gets jaundice, like yellow, mm -hmm. like jaundice mm -hmm. skin, and, mm -hmm. and the sensorially create the smell of just like bad, mm. bad mothball breath. And, you know, mm. and what does that do to you? You know, mm. it creates deep concern in you. It creates disgust in you. Yeah. You talk about the veins and noticing the veins in them as oh, well. Yeah. Like, I, I think seeing that like, like vulnerability in them and like, I think, that, I think that was really beautiful. Just how specific, you know, exploring yeah. each element of that person and, 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 and asking the questions, like what what does their eyes look like and and, and all of that, but, but they're not given an intellectual answer, sort of letting you see that in front of you, like in them and getting drawn into it further and further and further. And um, because I th I think there is that that danger, right? If you just generalize and like I don't know, like okay. oh, this yeah. person balance, yeah. You're actually bringing in um, another choice approach called sensory speculation, mm. which is. Um, you know, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at her across the room, and I see that she has a beautiful straight blonde hair. What would it be like if I was close enough to her that I could run my fingers, and she permitted me to run my fingers through her hair? What What would that texture be? What would that feel like? What mm. might if I if I smelled her hair? What might that hair smell like? And I sensorily speculate. Mm. And that sensory speculation stimulates something in me that I could then use to fulfill the obligation. Mm. I see somebody smoking um, a cigarette across the room and I haven't smoked a cigarette since I'm like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I can sensorily speculate from across the room. What would that feel like in my fingers if I picked the, if I picked the cigarette up? And if I brought mm. it to my mouth, what, what might the smoke in my eye uh, trigger the, the feel of the um, the filter inside on my lips for the first time. What might that feel like? And as as I put the my my mouth closed around the filter and I inhaled, what kind of uh, pain might I feel inside my throat as I breathe down? And how deep might I be able? And uh, so like I'm sensorily speculating about what it might be like, and mm -hmm. it triggers something in me that I could then use to fulfill the work. Mm. And and each of these. The endowments, the some sort of speculation, you know, um, we haven't talked about it in a monologue, and I don't know if we'll have time to, but 
But each each of these sort of springboard from the available stimulus that's, that's around you, right? Like the things that you initially see in front of you and then you're marrying these approaches with that, would it be fair to say? It could be, or it could be completely sensorily created, you know? So let's mm. say, you know, I'm in a sound studio, there's nothing there, um, but I know that if I sensorily create and, you know, uh, and sensorily speculate what that cigarette cigarette might be, but it's not actually there, I can use those two uh, completely mm. through my senses, you know, and, mm. and, and not have it actually be part of the available stimulus. It's not actually there. Wow. So, and that's the benefit, you know, that, that's the power of sense memory to be able to create things that are not there so that you actually experience them as if they were. So you could take that response of that thing that you've sensorily created and put that into the work. That's mm. why we do sense memory. It's not to taste the coffee when it's water. You know, it's not, it's not, right? It's to stimulate a, something in you that you can use to do your work. Yeah. I mean, I hopefully guys, you're starting to just, just with this little exploration into four or five of Eric Morris's uh, choice approaches. Yeah. Like you can see those links to, to the sense memory, what, how, how important it is. Um, Sarah Louise asks, how do I get better at this? And, and, and I, you know, want to get better at this. And it's, yeah, Jared's announced it right now. Well, one word, this, right? Uh, well, I'll say this. Um, sit, if you're not doing something that you enjoy, it's horribly painful. So practice sense memory on something that you actually love. Like if you love apples, then work with an apple and, and you know, ask, feel it, but all the questions. And the process of sense memory is, you know, little by little, you're asking a ton of questions while the thing is there and then you put it away and then you try to recreate it sensorily and then back and forth and back and forth. Um, but use something that, you know, that, that's why the sexual fantasies are fun, right? If that was painful, nobody would do it. Right. Mm. And so pick something that's that stimulates joy in you. Uh, you know, don't sensorily create something that you have no interest in. Uh, mm. We use a cup of coffee oftentimes at the beginning stages just to teach you the skills like scale play. But what to practice it so that you get good. Um, if you have, I don't know, like a, a favorite jacket that just brings you so much, you know, comfort or, or confidence, or you have, you know, uh, cowboy boots that make you feel, you know, strong and powerful, um, or a flower that just makes you feel very sentimental, you know, pick these things that, that you actually want to work on and then work on them. And it's just this practice, yeah. practice, practice. Part, part of the issue for me has always been like um, getting getting lost and getting getting moved out of yeah, like that, that moment, you know. And I, I love that very tangible advice from Eric Morris as well of just asking the questions to to dive deeper. And when, when you're feeling lost or when you're feeling coming out of it a little bit, just ask another question and like see if you can dive deeper and deeper into it. Just from and and that level of dexterity, where you know the point brought up earlier, you can ask fifty questions about the color of a wall, you know, like and and, and then go on to the texture and then like just really get lost in it and, and like. I felt that, like, yeah, yeah, it's something I'm going to add to my sort of practice with this as well. So, two, two points there, um, or take a break. You know, sometimes you just need to, you know, step away from it. If mm. like, if you hit a wall and it's like, okay, it's too overwhelming, um, your senses will shut down. So, just take a break. Um, but then the other thing is, when you ask the questions, the answers that you give are not intellectual answers. 
So um, what color is the wall? The answer blue. is not blue. The answer is it's whatever my eyes tell me the color is. You mm. know, uh, what, you know, as, as I reach out and I touch the wall, what temperature is, is the wall? The answer is well, not, actually, I think know, it feels a little bit cool, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, 32 degrees Celsius. That, like, the answer yeah. is not the actual degree. The, the answer is what temperature is the wall. The, the answer is how, however my sense of touch tells me it is. Mm. Um, and so you have to permit yourself to not be so intellectual with it. It's a, it's a sensory-based process. You know, mm. um, how, how large is the apple? Oh, okay, it's not, you know, 13 inches in circumference. No, it's however large my eyes see the apple to be, you know? Yes. So don't intellectualize the answers. Just you ask the question and you allow your senses to answer that. And that's yeah. it. And then back and forth and back and forth. We're not writing a beautiful, flowery narrative about it, you know. Like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. A, a, you know, the apple was a beautiful rosy color of, uh, you know, golden red and all this. No, 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 no. It's none of that. It's, it's, it's just what the color Whatever, of the apple yeah. you see. You see. Um, so yeah, ho hopefully, Sarah Louise, that that sort of helps you out there uh, um, a little bit. Like, man, I, I just feel pumped. Like, I, I've been looking around to see if there's any Eric Morris stuff near me. I, I can't find it at the moment. Um, if anybody knows of anything going on in Scotland, where I'm, I'm based, uh, come uh, let, let me know. Well, he but, teaches uh, online. Uh, yeah, yeah. He does teach online, so you like ericmorris.com. He said that he's currently working with a, a studio in Australia. He's been doing that. Um, but yeah, he, he offers online classes. And by the way, also, his, his wife, Susanna, in her own right, is a master teacher. And mm -hmm. if you ever get the chance to work with Susanna, she she's created a, um, her own uh, system of acting um, called First Impressions. Uh, she she's a brilliant coach. Uh, so I mean, if you have the ability to work with him or her, uh, do it. They're amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. hey, sorry, just real quick, we've had a question from Sarah uh, Luis here confused you know about why why do we need to go to these depths with the the sense memory um how would that the, the you know going to those depths of asking the question be specific all that stuff how would it then benefit you in your acting like how would you use that so i, I guess you sort of touched on that with the, the cup of coffee stuff Jared, right like um that would use it to, to stimulate some kind of emotion some kind of trigger w w within us that we can then use within the work okay. like, like yeah. it's about yeah all right so uh, i'll give a really good example so it was sarah and forgive me if my my um my instagram's not showing me who, who's saying mm -hmm. so it, it was mm -hmm. sarah that asked the question sarah louise yeah sarah louise okay all right so sarah louise let's say you are in a movie and the person that you are working off of you're supposed to be incredibly romantically attracted to and this person does not do it for you. You have no physical attraction whatsoever, but you have a job, right? We need to know that this character is deeply in love with and attracted to this other person. So you can't use available stimulus. So what do you do to stimulate in you a, a response of being incredibly attracted to this person when what's standing in front of you doesn't impel that in you naturally? So we can... Uh, create through our senses attributes uh, on this person 
that do stimulate. Maybe, you know, his eyes look like, uh, or her eyes look like somebody that you have had a romantic relationship with. Maybe they look like Brad Pitt, or maybe they look like some other um, movie star that you're incredibly attracted to. So in rehearsal, in practice, in your own time, by developing the skill of being able to create something that's not there and experience it as if it was there, so that it impels something in you, then during your work, you can look across at this person and sensorily create qualities in them that naturally stimulate in you the response needed. And then the camera's gonna pick up as if you're actually feeling something for the other person. They don't know what's going on inside your imagination and your senses. So we do all this hard work outside of the performance to be dexterous, have the dexterity and be facile with the skill so that when we need it, we can use it. So I, uh, I create for myself something that's not there that makes me feel turned on and sensual and sexy so that I could put that into the work. Because the available stimulus, the person that's actually there, isn't doing it for me. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a long time to get good at it. But if you don't have the skill, then okay, then what do you do? How do you, like, what is your specific process? What do you do to create that sensuality, that attraction for the person that just doesn't do it for you, right? Mm. We're just suggesting that sense memory may be one of many techniques available. So if you don't use sense memory, you have to have some other tool available to you. Uta Hagen talks about substitutions. Great. You know, so you use a substitution, but how do you create that substituted person mm. through sensory explorations, right? Yeah. Through sense memory. So, uh, Sarah Louise, let, you know, type and, and Adam, just you know, let me know. Yeah, no, no, she sees. Thank you for the explanation, and and I, and I think thank you, Sarah Louise, for asking the question. I think some people get hung up on like opening up themselves to the vulnerability of saying, like, can you clarify that? Can we talk further a little bit about no, how it's been used? Yeah. You know, because it, um, if you've tuned into the podcast before, we never talk in absolutes. We never say that this one approach is the the gospel that everyone must must follow. I definitely think sense memory is something to be respected, and it almost gives you this rolodex of um, possibilities out there. Like it's 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 a sort of you know something you can draw from and and, many, and draw many many possibilities from. You know, um, but we appreciate that because I think quite a lot of the times in the world of acting, and part of the reason why we do this podcast is to sort of not have people feel like oh, I'm supposed to know all this intellectual, you know, acting craft practitioner stuff. And actually, all that's ineffective. Like, like you need to know how to use it. You need to know how it's actionable. You need to know how it's practical to you. So we, we appreciate that question and the open honesty. Yes, Jared, Kelner, you I have a back, question, please. Adam, for you. Yes. It's, it's uh, 15 past the hour, but I, I don't want to stop. Can we continue for a little bit? I, I'm I'm up for vibing on this, yeah, yeah, for okay. a long yeah. absolutely. There's so much to unpack with this one, yeah. squeeze out and, and this one. So yeah, so, absolutely. It's this okay, I, I want to put sense memory to the side, and I want to talk about um, inner monologue. You mm. had mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I want to give a really wonderful example of how to use an inner monologue to help you bring the choice to life and fulfill the... Um, you know, the obligation. So let's say I need to create a character um, that's just depressed and just down in the dumps. Mm. 
maybe I can use an inner monologue of a mantra. So a mantra is a short phrase that you say to yourself in your mind over and over and over and over again. And the theory behind the mantra is you are or you become that which you think about most of the time. And we see people in life all the time, you know, they, they exude this kind of energy, you yeah. know? And so if I need to create a sense of, you know, depression, just down on my luck, nothing ever goes right for me. I can have an inner monologue going while I'm acting, listening and responding, saying yeah. the lines, working off the other person. I could have this inner monologue going like, um, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. Nothing goes right for me. Nothing ever goes right for me. I can't ever get ahead. I can't ever get ahead. Nobody, nobody even knows. I'm, I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. And I've just got this loop in my head. You are, you become that which you think about most of the time. And so if, if all my thoughts are just, you know, over and over and over again, these negative thoughts, my energy is going to be transformed into this depressed state that I could then use to fulfill that, uh, that specific obligation. Are you, are you doing that between the lines, on the line? I oh, imagine yeah. beforehand, like all, all through. throughout. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, right now, while I'm talking, I'm thinking. Right now, while you're listening, you're having thoughts. So we have the ability to do two things at once. So, mm -hmm. yeah, while I'm talking, and it's just, and, and so, you know, a, a little thing that I don't have to think about too much, you know, like, uh, I'm worthless. Yeah. My, my, you, my, life, yeah. my life is meaningless. My life, you know, I, I'm, I'm a loser. I am, I am a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a yeah. loser. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. You know, yeah. you're going to exude this depressed energy. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you, you're not dwelling on it. You, you're not sort of meandering on the on the thought. Of what, what do I say next? The minor monologue or anything like that. You, you're keeping it simple. You keep it succinct, and it's allowing you to keep in action with the other actor as you, as you do this as well, right? Which is an, an important component of this, I guess. Is being, I think, focus. <laughs> Sarah Louise, uh, thank you so much for your involvement. I said, focus on the intention of the um, of the character, um, but I, I guess also focus on the, the other character that's in front of you is a, is a oh, key I, yeah, never yeah. at the yeah all this stuff never at the expense of the reality that's in front of you because the audience if you're in a play or the camera if you're filming doesn't see the stuff that's happening inside of you right we see the reality in front of you and so if you're you know doing it to be self-serving and you're missing the stuff that's actually happening in front of you you've missed the point yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, Eric Morris highlights. You know, <laughs> I know we've done sense memory at this tonight, but but even with the sense memory, you you can be experiencing it, like like Jared was saying, like whilst you're there on stage with the other actor, but but not in substitution of being there and being present with the other actor that's that's in front of you, right? Yeah, that you still need to be affected by them, be open 100%. to them. Yeah, you um, look foolish, right? You you know, like they're not doing anything to stimulate a response in you. It's coming at you know from from internal. The audience is going to be like, well, why? Why are they behaving like that? The other person <laughs> didn't do anything. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're striving towards <laughs> something that's just jars with the reality of what I'm seeing right now. It's it's just strange. It's uh, Louis says that the um, the mantra that you brought up. Um, she says it's very similar to the work of Michael Keogh. It's K E. O-G-H. Um, he created an approach that's like this. It's very simple, but works very well. You heard of, heard of him before, Jared? Is that a... Wow. Oh, great. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's... Uh, Spell the last name? Keogh. I had to say, but that's my Scots accent. K-E-O-G-H. Michael 
Keok. Great. I love it. Yeah. I, I love yeah, that yeah, yeah. stuff. I'll look them up. Mate, it's very, it's very seldom that you um, we come across a practitioner that you do, you haven't heard of. Like, so wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I, I, I love, I love learning. I, lo- I love learning. Yeah. No, great. Um, yeah, like, so the the inner monologue as well. You, you can't have a bit of fun. Move, move it past the simple mantra as well. I guess. Like, like would would you? You could sort of do it beforehand, maybe. Where, like, like I, I was giving an example of like the annoyance that I get with my thumb and these these comments. Like, I could have a little in a monologue where I'm literally like, you know, talking about my thumb and how stupid it is, and yeah. like how thick and like you know big, and why can't I flick through these things? And who Mark Zuckerberg think he is? Like, you know, not thinking about the comment section with people like thumbs like me and all that stuff, and then then sort of go into it. I, I guess if you're going in, into stuff with that level in the scene, that, that could maybe bring you out of the scene a little bit. Do you think if you, you went to that level of inner monologue whilst on the stage? I think anything can pull you out. So just you know, remind yourself to put your, put your focus on the other person too. So let's say I needed to just be annoyed by you. The relationship is just, we're, we're just, we're siblings and just all the time, we're just constantly at each other's throats. And so maybe I have a, an inner monologue while we're saying our lines, we're acting, I'm like, Look at this guy with his flat forehead and his pointy nose and this stupid accent. You know, he can't even pronounce words properly. He thinks because he's from Scotland and, and, and the UK that he's better than this is this is a dumb man. You know, and so I have these thoughts going on in my head. And I'm not I'm not voicing them, but by having this inner monologue going, that becomes the subtext that becomes palpable in how I relate to you and, and obviously experienced by the audience. Right. And it's triggered because while we're saying the lines back, you know, you, you're saying, you know, Hey, you know, pass the potatoes. I'm like, I'll oh, pass the, Yeah, sure. I'm going to pass the potatoes <laughs> you know, so that you can put them in your dumb fat mouth. Oh. Right? And so that inner monologue stimulates a response in me that I yeah. then can put in to fulfill the relationship of this, you know, sibling rivalry. You're I'm, a beautiful I'm, I'm, man, and I love your face. I love your face. No, no, you're right, right by him. I think you just hit home. Not that my wife and I have many, many disagreements, many arguments, but but that is what, what, what sort of goes on, right? When, when you've yeah. got that, that tension, you're just like battling off things in your head and thoughts, and yeah, that'll be right, and obviously, like, yeah, that's right. totally, totally going on in real life anyway, <laughs> that old inner monologue, so no, 100% hit, hit, hit yeah. the nail. Inner monologues are great. <laughs> inner, inner mo- so like when somebody says like, what's the subtext? Inner monologue is a wonderful way to discover what the subtext is. Mm. All the mm. unspoken stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. The subtext of it all. It's um, no, it's a beautiful thing, man. Did Did you have any? Because I, I mean, I've got some. Just with this, but did you have any that you particularly feel? Oh man, this this one is juicy. We want to squeeze um, something like this one. I know there's so many of them. So. Yeah. Um, um, evocative words is another one that um, yeah. I like. Yeah. yeah. Um, Evocative words are, okay, I need to fulfill an emotional obligation of being enraged. So before uh, action is called, uh, I'm going to think and I'm going to say um, powerful evocative words. I'm going to think them, I'm going to say them out loud uh, that stimulate rage in me. And it's it's so personal, right? It could be anything. And so, um, you know, uh, animal abuse. Um, uh, white supremacy, 
um, things that get me mad, um, divisive politicians, right? I just start saying words that just naturally stimulate. I don't have to do anything. I hear those words and boom, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm angry, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to fulfill an obligation of being in a, in a specific emotional state. And I'm using the evocative words as the process through which I stimulate that anger in me. And so I can use that before uh, I do the work. And then also similar to the inner monologue, I can use evocative words and just think them to myself during as, as an inner monologue to keep that emotion going. So yeah. it, those uh, evocative words don't necessarily need to be related to the imaginary circumstances and the imaginary relationship of the script. It could be anything. Right. Mm -hmm. I just need to stimulate something in me. And I use that because the available stimulus and my connection to the script doesn't naturally bring it out in me. So I have a tool available so that I could ultimately do my work. I mean, the yeah. best case scenario is the script naturally stimulates in you the response that's needed. The other person that you're working with naturally stimulates what's needed. The environment, your set, your costumes, everything just naturally does it for you. And you don't have to do much work. But that doesn't happen all the time. And it certainly doesn't happen all the time if you're in you know, a long running um, production. So having the tools available to you to help you do your work becomes vital. Yeah, yeah. No, um, we've just had a question. And uh, Joanne, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, and and it's, it's not directly related to our, our, you know, our choice approach discussion tonight. Is that, well, no, in fact, it, it, it would be, yeah. Here's a question. Um, first of all, very sorry to hear you're experiencing this right now, and we hope that you, um, yeah, are, are able to find ways to to deal with this in your in your life and things. But John's mentioned how she's experienced depression, at, you know, at the moment, and we're sorry to hear that. Can you take that and to use it in a depressed character within acting? And like, um, I think one hundred percent, like that, that you would be able to. Uh, do that, Joanne. Like um, that is, yeah. Like I, I think any emotion, any experience that we've had as actors, that we are able to bring it into the work. But we've sort of spoke about this in previous episodes, only in a way that you'd feel comfortable doing so. If you feel that that's going to bring up and expose things, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, and it's going to affect you. In your personal life beyond the, the character that you're working on then it's probably never a, a good idea to bring that up and bring it into a professional basis it's, it's got to come from a place of, of comfort yeah i've got some really strong feelings about this um so uh i recently started a journey uh going back to school and getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling specifically to ultimately work with uh, actors and the performing arts population. Um, so my, my recommendation is this, um, never use anything that's happening in your actual life that is so raw that you risk making yourself um, more vulnerable and putting yourself and your emotions and your psyche at risk. Um, only use things that are happening in your life that you feel safe using um, and never use an actual production, a play, a movie uh, for your therapy. Go get counseling, go have therapy and uh, work through that outside of it. Um, because if you dive in and commingle your actual experiences that are 
traumatic and uh, real for you right now, and you bring that into your work, you run the risk of doing yourself more harm. Uh, and you also could be imposing too much of yourself into the piece unnecessarily and inappropriately, right? And so it's important to make a clear distinction that our job is to bring to life the script and the character as intended or envisioned by the playwright, the screenwriter, and the director, right? That's our job, not to impose ourselves on top of it. It's always good to use uh, real parts of our life to help us make those connections, but only in the most safest of ways. And so if currently you're going through some sort of process that is uh, bringing you um, mental pain, um, emotional pain, uh, I would just caution you that uh, it would probably be better to address that outside of the acting with a, a trained and licensed counselor or therapist so that if you do choose to use it later on, you have control of it in a way that's safe for you and appropriate for the piece. So just mm. be, be careful not to use your, your pain as your therapy in your work. That's all. Yeah. There is, however, uh, psychodrama, drama therapy, play therapy. There are uh, practitioners of creative therapy modalities that use acting exercises that we do in class for the therapy but they're separate and distinct. And so you may want to find a psychodramatist, a drama therapist, so that you can go play in this world that feels comfortable for you, but away from the actual work. That's, so I'm mm. stepping down from my soapbox right now, but you know, obviously um, if, if you need, go get help. Uh, that's really practical and silly advice there, um, Jared. And we, and we, say, we send our love to him. We send our love as well. For sure. Um, Jared, mm. It's been a whirlwind, my friend. We've, 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 uh, this is our I longest mean, episode, been, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to cover with this. Like, and we've, we've literally only done about five of the choice approaches. So, I mean, I mean from my standpoint, as a beginner in the world yeah. of Eric Morris, I can only say it's, it's just been such an incredibly valuable month. Like, yeah. And it's opened up my eyes to, you know, his systems and, and approaches. And, and if I could sum it up in two words, I'd say endless possibilities. That's that's mm -hmm. what has made me feel like it, it's made me feel liberated um, and given me a framework to work in where I feel like I could never be lost if I explore these things. And, you know, I fully intend to, you know, get in an actual real room sometime and, and, and try these things out when I get the opportunity to, because, because I feel like intellectually, I have, a, I have a much better understanding of it now, but as we highlight quite often on this podcast, it's not until we actually get up there and do that you yeah, truly, truly um, experience the value. Um, so from my standpoint, that, that, that's where I'm at with Eric Morris. Um, and what a dude, what, what a guy to be 90 odd years old, 91, 90, 91 now, right? He just turned 90 and, and like 90, so 90. full of life, so full of life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. So it's inspiring as a, as a man as well. Um <laughs> Thank you uh, for joining us, Cyril. Thank you very much. Um, Jared, Thank you, you for know, the questions. I feel it's only fitting for you to have the, the final words about Eric and, and, and about this little mini-series we did into his world as well. I mean, what, what do you get from the, the man and what have you got over the years from him that's been perhaps the most, the most valuable thing for you? Uh, I, yeah, the endless possibilities is a really wonderful um, way of looking at it. There's so many pieces to it. And if you chose one section of his system, you'd be fine. Like you could use just one tool for the rest of your life. So there's so, there's so much there. Um, 
I mean, it, he's a loving, generous uh, soul um, that just wants to um, help people um, in life and in, in acting. Um, and if you ever get the chance to work with him, to, you know, do it. Yeah, you, you will be better for it. Mm, there we go, people. Read his books, watch his videos. Ultimately, you know, try and practically engage in his work. And um, hey, if you uh, got any value from today's episode, uh, we appreciate it if, you, if you get the opportunity to tell a friend. And remember, you can listen to previous episodes of Two Guys Talking Craft on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, probably a few other podcast places that we're, we're not aware of. But uh, we appreciate all of you. Thank you for listening in. Uh, thank you for joining us on Instagram Live tonight. And Jared, above all, I hugely appreciate you, man. You're an absolute powerhouse. And I love you. I love you. I love your face. I love your forehead and your nose and <laughs> everything about you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the love comes right back at you, man. And I love the love inner monologue there as well. Hey, Dale, thanks for uh, sticking with us as well. Thank you, Dale. You know, I think he's been here for each and every Eric yeah, Morris Dale, episode. Dale, we, Dale we had the opportunity to study with Eric Morris too. So he, you know, what we're talking about, he, he knows. He's experienced this stuff. Yeah. Top guy, man. Thanks thanks for joining us. Everybody, thank you very, very much for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks' time where we're going to explore a different area of the world of acting craft. We're, we're not done, people. We're not done. This is just episode 38. Just you wait to see what we've got in store. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Bye, bye.